I'm going to do something this morning that I've never done before. I love doing new things. Do you love doing new things? And you just wonder how it's going to turn out. I don't know. We're going to find out, aren't we? So I've never done a recap sermon before. Um, but this last series that we've been going through that I called Learning the Unforced Rhythms of Grace has frankly changed my life. It's changed the way that I live my life every single day. And I like this version much better than the old version. I don't want to go back to being in a hurry all the time, running around like a chicken with my head cut off, somehow thinking busy is successful or Somehow I must be doing something great if I'm busy. Now I look at times when I'm rushed and I think I didn't create enough margin. I'm kind to myself and say, okay, what can I learn from that? I'm not going to do it that way. Next time, I'm going to do it a different way. I'm going to make a different mistake next time, but I'm not making the same mistake twice. And um, seldom have I ever preached through a sermon series that has so radically changed the way that I live. Not because I don't take the stuff seriously that I teach, but I think I was desperately in need of new rhythms. And I don't know if it was because we're coming off a pandemic. I don't know if it's because of my age or the last 30 years of ministry. By the way, this is my 24th work anniversary today. That's kind of fun. That's been a long time since I've been in neighborhood church. I just thought of that right now. Things that you think of when you're on the stage that you shouldn't be thinking of, you should be thinking about what you're talking about. But there's been a stretch of time, and sometimes you've got to stop, and you have to reevaluate. And so I began asking the question, am I becoming the kind of person that God wants me to become? Am I actually turning into the man who God wants me to become, or am I just turning into another nonprofit leader in the city who just struggles from year to year and day to day and doing all of the things and you know, just waiting for my kids to grow up so that I could do this and that. No, I don't want to do that. I, so what I realized was I want to be like my friend, Father Columba. He's this monk in Ireland that I met with a very large beard. He could have probably played in ZZ Top. And yet what I learned from him was presence is everything. Presence being present with God, being present to yourself, and being present with others. And as I've walked lots of miles with my friend Gaylord and thought about the command of Christ to love one another, I realize it's all about presence. Because how often are we not present? We're just scrolling or watching TV or uh uh-huh, 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 instead of being present. That's what love looks like. So this morning, I'm going to endeavor to do something that I've never done before, and that is recap this entire series in a very short period of time. Why would I do that? Because I think that just like God's people need to be reminded. He says, remember, 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 remember. I just want you to remember. And I'm hoping that through this quick little summary, you'll say, oh yeah, I really wanted to work on that aspect. I really feel like God highlighted that, and I lost it in the last 17 weeks I think I'm going to go back to that. So let the Holy Spirit speak to you as I'm sharing. And if at any time you go, oh my gosh, this is the thing, all of it is on YouTube. You can go back and watch the messages. You can download the podcasts. I think you might even be able to listen to the podcast faster than one speed, which some of you do, which is crazy. And I sound like a chipmunk, but like if that works for you, great. 
So what is this whole thing predicated on? This is predicated on Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the message, where he's paraphrasing Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So at the core of this message is the fact that God wants to lead us to rest. He says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads us to a place of rest. And yet, we talked about these green pastures. This is what the green pastures look like. It's not waist-deep alfalfa where you've got everything and you don't ever have to think and life is easy. No, a green pasture in the Holy Land would be these little sprouts of green. And you'd have to trust your shepherd, that your shepherd would be leading you. And along the way, you'd get a little munch of grass, and then you'd have to wait for that next rock where that condens condensation from the Mediterranean Sea wind came in and would give enough so there'd be another sprig, and it might be five or ten minutes. You have to trust your, your, your shepherd that he's going to lead you to that green pasture, which is just a little sprig. This is a walk by faith for rest. So we talked about that the very first week. Then we talked about Matthew 11, this idea of the light yoke. And instead of giving us uh, who are tired a bed or a vacation, what does Jesus say? Here's a work instrument that you are to wear and I will wear it as well and you will learn my pace. As much as we want to do all the things that Jesus taught, I believe at the core of this series of rhythms is looking at how Jesus actually lived his life and imitating him. Just as we would imitate a rabbi we were, we were following. So it's all based on this idea of taking the yoke upon you, a, an easy yoke. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. If you had a heavy yoke from your rabbi, it was a legalistic yoke. Jesus says, nope, this is not a legalistic yoke. This is light, but you're going to walk my pace. This, I love this quote. Frederick Dale Bruner said this, A yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. We need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he could give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Following Jesus doesn't mean all your burdens go away and all the pain goes away. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount, his yoke, will develop in us a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way that we have been living. And so how do we walk this pace? What pace does Jesus walk? I'm glad you asked. That was week three. We talked about the spiritual discipline of slowing, the rhythm of slowing your body down so that your spirit will begin to slow as well. 
So this sometimes means you've got to engage in driving slower. You intentionally put your place, yourself in places to wait, so you train yourself to be okay waiting on God. And as you slow down, what happens? You begin to hear God's voice more clearly. You begin to be at more, more at peace. And that hurry, which is the enemy of your spiritual life, goes away. Why? Because Dallas Willard, one of my heroes, said this. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. This is what it's all been about for me. Ruthlessly eliminating hurry. When I find it, I'm going to take it out, back, shoot it, and bury it in the backyard. What did Jesus show us? This was my takeaway from this whole idea of slowing. Jesus walked slowly because he knew that what others label earthly interruptions are often invitations into divine appointments. That's the enemy. He's just trying to take me off my game. No, you better ask the question because it may be the Lord challenging you to love someone who maybe is difficult to love. Maybe that looks really different from you. Maybe they haven't been so nice to you before and it's really hard to like them. John Ortberg said this about this. Uh, the spiritual discipline of slowing is cultivating patience by deliberately choosing to place ourselves in positions where we simply have to wait. Anybody starting to take the long line at the grocery store yet? You're like, no, that sounds horrible. So what's happening with this posture? Resist the world's pace. Acquaint yourself with waiting. If you're going to wait on the Lord, you've got to learn somewhere, right? You might as well wait in the grocery store. That's a great opportunity to pray, by the way. Just saying. Create margins in your life. Margins are what many of us don't build in. And uh, I think it's Robert, uh, Richard Swenson who wrote a great book on that called Margin. Who is my hero for going slow? Mr. Rogers. I promise I won't cry this time. Every time I talk about Mr. Rogers, I cry. He understood the beauty of going slow. Why? Because he valued people and relationship. And that's what slowing really gets you to. The fourth week, we talked about meeting with God daily. This rhythm of perhaps even for some of you, you said, okay, I will do Bible before phone. And that was maybe a rhythm that you put in place. Well, where do we get this? It's Jesus' example. Very early in the morning, Mark 1, verse 35, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And of course, the world comes apart while he's gone. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, he exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. You can feel the hurry in it, right? Jesus replies, let us go somewhere else to a nearby village so I can preach Preach there also. That is why I have come. I can imagine them going, the PR guy for Jesus is pulling his hair out. You don't understand how many people are waiting for you right now. And Jesus gives like, nope. This is the nope for Jesus. Nope. Not going to do it. We're going to do these other things. Spending time alone is scary for so many people. We talked about that. 
But Richard Foster does a great job contrasting the fact that loneliness is inner emptiness, but solitude, spending time alone with God, is inner fulfillment. And it's hard to believe that on the surface. But the more you spend time alone, the more you'll find that God really does meet with you and your soul begins to find peace. Well, that rolls right into week five, which was all about silence and solitude. The idea of these two things working together, very important. We talked about the fear of being alone, aromaphobia. You think, where do, you, where do they get these words? I'm glad you asked. Here's where they got this word, aremos, which is the, the lonely place or the desert or the, or the wilderness. That verse that we just read in Mark 1, Jesus went off to the aremos, It's the quiet place. It's the solitude place. It's the place where you get filled up. And then Fabas is fear. You could probably hear that, right? Aromaphobia. So many of us are afraid to be alone because everything comes to the surface when we're alone. That's why maybe you've got a constant soundtrack in your ears or on your radios or white noise or something because you can't handle just being by yourself. Why? Because there's healing that still needs to happen. And I'm saying that as kindly as possible because we all have brokenness and we all carry brokenness. And when we're alone, it's a struggle. That's why Jesus says, let me come and heal you. Let me walk with you. Let me help you. I see where you are. Luke 5, yet the news spread about him all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I'm sharing this so you can see it's a rhythm. It's not a one-time thing for Mark 1 and like forever. He never, he always just was on and he never got time alone with God. Mr. Rogers, silence is the greatest gift we have. Can you imagine being a TV executive saying, um, Fred Rogers, uh, like you cannot sit there for 10 seconds being silent. Like you're killing our audience right now. But what does he, what does Fred Rogers believe? Silence is the greatest gift we have. Why? Because in silence, we begin to see what's really in our hearts and God wants us to see what's in our hearts. Dallas Willard says this, silence and solitude go hand in hand. Usually just as silence is vital to make solitude real, so is solitude needed to make the discipline of silence complete. Very few of us can be silent in the presence of others. So you saw this slide. It's on Facebook or it's on Facebook too, YouTube and all of the things. But uh, solitude, engagement and safety and how you open yourself up to God and time to feed and water your soul place for drawing strength, a place of connection with God. Isolation is different. Isolation is escape, danger, painting a target on your back or your chest for the tempter to come after you. It's what you crave without solitude. It's a place of weakness. It's a lonely place. So just a reminder, loneliness is inner emptiness, but solitude is inner inner fulfillment. Well, going a little quicker now, we talked also about hearing the voice of God And this is a real value for our church to learn how to discern what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And that will be a constant theme from now until Jesus comes. We'll continue to help help you as we learn how to hear God's voice. And where does this come down? It comes to be still and know that I am God. 
It was Mother Teresa who said, listen in silence because if your heart is full of other things, you cannot hear the voice of God. Tend to think she's usually right. Just a guess. C.S. Lewis, another one of my heroes, talking about the Bible and how the Bible speaks to us because the Bible is a very important way that God speaks to us. When we come to the scripture, it's not a question of learning a subject, but steeping ourselves in a personality. I know I'm not the only one who's carried this quote with me, thinking about when I spend time in the word, I'm steeping in the, with Jesus. It's like tea. Just like the longer it is, the stronger, richer it is. Sometimes we get impressions. We hear God's voice. And it's funny because, you know, you go into other churches and you hear all these different phrases, but they all mean the same thing. God put it on my heart to do that. Well, I just had a leading by the Lord. It's all the same thing. There's this impression that God gives us, whether you call it hearing his voice or not. Nehemiah 7, so God put it in my heart to assemble the nobles. Mark 2, Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. Acts 14, Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed. It's not like the guy had faith in his hands and he could see it. He's sensing it. He's getting that impression, right? If you want to more on this, there's messages on all these things. We talked about what God sounds like and what he doesn't sound like. I just believe that God always has some divine echo, some repetition. Why? Because he doesn't want you to miss it. He's not a sorry you missed it the first time. No. There's, There's some really beautiful things, really good fruit. And as we talked about Samuel as a boy, this phrase came to my heart, and so I wanted to put it on a slide. God's greatest revelation happens during rest. Because Samuel as a boy is laying in bed at night. It's like God's got his attention. And when you move in slower rhythms, punctuated by rest, it will open you up to hear God's voice more. I don't know about you, but when I'm driving and there's nobody there, that's usually when God begins to show me things. Or in the shower, Right? Why? Because there's nothing going on. There's no distractions. God's like, finally I got your attention. And your hair looks good too. I got the fluffy hair today. At least I'm clean. Well, what would keep you, I want to make sure you're awake. What would keep you from hearing God's voice? Just one little warning. Pride. Psalm 138. He knows the proud from afar. And yet, he gives grace to the humble. Humility is your key to hearing God's voice. More in the message. Here was the message that I was the most afraid that you would, you would put your hands out and say, no, I don't want to do that, and it's Sabbath. You would think that this is some crazy legalistic thing. It's the concept that when God creates the earth, he creates a pattern, that he works for six days and then he rests on the seventh day. And then later on, he says, this is what I want you to do. If you do your life this way, working six days and then taking one day off to rest, to enjoy God's goodness, you will be in alignment with the creator. If you go against the grain of the universe in this way, you will get splinters. It's been fascinating as I've been taking Sabbath. I take Sabbath on Fridays. You can listen to the message to hear more about that. And um, when I've missed my Sabbath a few times, actually for Good Friday, wonderful reason, but 
I missed two Sabbaths in a row and I felt wrung out because my body got used to that rhythm of six days on, one day off. Six days on, one day off. And most of us get a weekend, so you could have a mini Sabbath on the other day when you do all your stuff. Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one who gets to call the shots on the Sabbath. And he begins to redefine the Sabbath some. He's healing on the Sabbath. He's not a legalist about the Sabbath. He says, no, the Sabbath was made for man. It's supposed to be this blessing. It's when you eat the richest of foods and you delight in God's creation. You delight in one another in your relationships. You get off your devices and you actually read books and things that bring you life. You ride your bicycles and you realize what's really important. Sabbath is a gift to us. Hebrews 4 says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Everybody wants to make this so subjective. And he says, make every effort to enter that rest. Is this legalism? No. You get to have a day to rest and enjoy God. I'm not going to try to convince you. The Sabbath has largely been forgotten by the church, which has uncritically mimicked the rhythms and the, of the industrial and success-obsessed West. The result, our road-weary, exhausted churches have largely failed to integrate Sabbath into their lives as vital elements of Christian discipleship. Swoboda wrote a great book called Sabbath, and you can find it on my reading list on our website. So Sabbath is all about, it's a verb, to stop and delight. Some of you took a try and you went, that was too hard. I got a lot going on. I can't do a day off. I think this is a, another invitation for you to stop and delight. John Mark Comer, who wrote the, the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, said, Sabbath isn't just a 24-hour time slot in your weekly schedule. It's a spirit of restfulness that goes with you throughout the week, a way of living with ease, gratitude, appreciation, and prayer. That quote's just worth it for right there. Ease, gratitude, appreciation, and prayer. A way of working from rest, not for rest, with nothing to prove. A way of bearing fruit from abiding, not ambition. Bam. Then we talked about the posture of obscurity. Jesus was largely unknown to most of the world. And for 30 years or so, he was completely off the map except for one time when he gets lost in the temple at age 12. And yet we've got people like Taylor Swift, bless her heart, saying, I'm intimidated by the fear of being average. I've got to be all that and a bag of chips or else I won't feel like I'm good enough. Brene Brown, another one of my heroes, says this, when I look at narcissism through the vernal, I'm trying to go fast. See what hurry does to you? It doesn't work. When I look at narcissism through the vulnerability lens, I see the shame-based fear of being ordinary. I see the fear of never feeling extraordinary enough to be noticed, to be lovable, to belong, or to cultivate a sense of purpose. So it's this, if I'm not blank enough, I won't be seen and I won't be loved. I have a fear of being average Please don't ask me to be obscure. I won't be loved. The truth is, 
Obscurity, by definition, is being unknown, inconspicuous, and unimportant to the world. But it's also, in a Christian context, being seen, known, and loved by God. Nothing to prove. Just free. I had to do it. Fred Rogers. You don't ever have to do anything sensational in order to love or be loved. The real drama of life that matters most is rarely center stage or in the spotlight. In fact, it has nothing to do with IQs and honors and the fancy outsides of life. And it breaks my heart that I watch people in our city strive so hard to be loved. They mortgage everything. They give everything away just to be seen. And yet, as Jesus followers, we get to see them. We get to love them right where they are. And what a high calling that we have. That I don't have to stand on a stage to feel like I'm important. In fact, I told somebody the other day, I said, I actually don't love being on the stage. They're like, what? Yeah, I'm doing that because I'm called to it. But if you ever see me at a party, I'm the guy on the wall. Because I don't want to be in the center of things. It's okay to be obscure. There's a very healthy place for obscurity in the Christian walk. It is there in obscurity, not in the lights, that our character is most formed. We need obscurity. Jesus lived in obscurity for nearly 30 years, entering his public ministry. We talked a little bit about when Jesus enters his ministry, he receives the blessing of those, those encouraging words from, from God the Father, saying, you're my loved son, speaking into his identity. And then he leads, he's led straight into the desert, the Eremos. Why? Not to be lonely, but to get filled up. So then that belovedness is then burned, seared into his soul. That's what those 40 days were about. And then he was tempted about his identity. God's like, yep, getting you ready for this. You got it. You got this. And then he comes out and he's ready. He's got what God needs to give him to be able to roll into ministry and kingdom work. That is the way our lives go. We receive some revelation about identity. If we're willing to then go into silence and solitude, live in that place of obscurity, God's going to sear that into our hearts and even prepare us more for ministry and serving others. We also talked about fasting, which was very convenient since we had that little thing called Lent. Jenison Franklin says, The Son of God fasted because he knew that there were supernatural things that could only be released that way. And it's so true. So there was an assumption that Jesus makes that his disciples will fast. Where he says in Matthew 9, there at the end of the 15, The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, Jesus will leave, and then they will fast. It's going to happen. He's assuming, yeah, of course my people fast. Fasting is a grace, Mike Bickle says, that significantly increases our receptivity to the Lord's voice and his word. Okay, so fasting is another piece of the rhythm puzzle. It can look a whole lot of different ways. Let's talk about the rule of life. Now, in this book, this, is, this book is called The Common Rule. It talks a little bit about, this is what, this is about. And um, we talked a little bit about, first of all, freedom. 
and how freedom, our idea of freedom, needs to be biblical. So Jefferson Bethke says this, we are chasing freedom, yet becoming slaves. My guess is that this is because we have a wrong elementary view of freedom. True freedom has inherent restraint, boundaries, bumpers, and limits. But limits is the 21st century swear word. The author of this book talks about the idea of a freedom liturgy. That we act out of this no limits, none ever freedom liturgy. Nobody gets to tell me what to do. I get to do whatever I want. I need to have the freedom to do whatever I want, whenever I want to do it. Assuming that the good life comes from having the freedom to do whatever we want. So to ensure the good life, we must ensure our ability to choose in every moment. And yet, Peter Scarzero says, we find God's will for our lives in limitations. And Jeff Bethke says, we are the sum of our habits. That when we have these micro decisions along the way, the sum of those micro decisions are really who we are. Our legacy is is left there. And so what would it look like to be like the desert fathers and mothers who had a rule of life? This is what this author, Justin Early, is talking about. The desert fathers and mothers years and centuries ago would have these patterns of things that they would do, and they wouldn't just do them by themselves, but their whole ministry community would do these things together. They would pray at the same time. They would sing at the same time. They would make soup at the same time. And you think, oh, that's legalism. No, it's like a trellis that you build so wild things that grow can have some structure. And in the midst of those rhythms are what they would call a rule of life. They did that for two reasons. Every single church father that I've read that had a rule of life talked about it. They said, this helps us love God more and love others more. Wow, those are really good reasons to do something. So, you want to check out this website, by the way, if, you're, if you don't rush the stage and grab some books. Um, you can go to this website. He did a great job putting it together. It's called thecommonrule.org. Most of his stuff is there. Um, he has these, the idea, of the, the rule of, of life really quickly is the idea that you would have a few daily habits that would be yours and a few weekly habits that would be yours that would keep you on track with rhythms that would be godly. You have to choose what these are. So some of these are, might scare you. His weekly habit is to curate his media down to four hours. Can you imagine taking all your screen time and curating it down to four hours? You'd probably only watch the most important stuff to you. You'd also have a whole lot more time for other stuff. Now, that's not a, like a command. That's just something that he decided in his life. But what would it look like for you to take an hour off from your phone every day? That's what he does. So, this rule of life, I think, is a next step, perhaps, for those of you who are trying to apply these things. We talked about the table and the importance of eating together, the gravity of the table. It's the place where we learn to love. We even saw pictures of places in Japan where they knew that you didn't have enough community, so they supplied community for you. It's a, well, it's a, it's a stuffed animal, but it, they were trying. They were working at it, Right? And I think that uh, the author of this book says, in a culture of busyness where we seem to have made a strange flip 
The solitary feeling of individual productivity and accomplishment is the necessity, time to stop and eat with others is a luxury. So we've begun to look at food as fuel instead of being foodies. Jesus was a foodie, be more like him. Foodies sit down and eat food at a table together with others. They don't eat their cereal like this standing above the sink. That's me, by the way. I'm just guilty. I did it this morning. I got to get to church. Or in front of the television. Most of our televisions now have pause so we can go eat. The idea of opening your table is a Jesus thing. So inclusive. And the truth is our future is a feast. In Revelation 19, we see that. So the table is the center of gravity in the, in the home for loving. It's important. Loving our neighbor especially. Rhythm 13, we're almost done. Feasting and holidays, we talked about the fact that irregular rhythms in, in our life invite chaos rather than peace. I don't know about you, but I think I'd rather have peace. So we talked about peace being literally the teeth or the authority to destroy chaos in our life. That's what peace literally means when you like pull that little Hebrew word apart. Rituals are the habits of meaning that give us give us an anchor and add depths to our life. We also talk about the festivals and you have an opportunity to enter into these things and take a look at them and then make your own holidays holy days. Last week, we talked about simplicity and the need that we have to unhitch our wagon from possessions and money and that it is the one God that Jesus said, watch out for this one. This one will get you. And that is the idea of you cannot serve two masters. You'll either hate one or love the other, Matthew 6 says. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon or the love of money. Money is not evil, by the way. Just to be clear here, the love of money is the root of all evil is what the Bible says, not money. Money is a great gift that God gives us to be able to do wonderful things. So the three takeaways from last week. We've got to live intentionally, we've got to give generously, and we've got to pursue Jesus and his kingdom first. The central point for the discipline of simplicity is to seek the kingdom of God, Richard Foster says. And then everything else takes its proper order. So what are those three attitudes? You've got to receive everything as a gift from God. What you receive is his job to protect, not yours, which means that you are a loner, a, a gracious loner and a responsible borrower. And whatever you have, it's not just mine, mine, mine. It's available to others. I pray and hope that this will be an ongoing process for us as we learn healthy rhythms that we'll share with one another. And I'm going to have Amy come up and share a few of the things that we heard. I know we got more than we can share just in the few minutes remaining. But um, we do. I want to celebrate some of the things that you guys have put into practice. Our friend said, I learned from the sermon on Sabbaths that it is not only okay to take them, but that the Lord prescribes them. It is one way for me to stay plugged into him through rest, fun, and rejuvenation of my spirit. Another friend said, I watching this series, I was giving per, I was given permission to live my life at a life giving pace. 
I learned so much about slowing down, and as I've put this rhythm into practice, I've discovered how much more peaceful my day is. Nice. Another friend said they are learning to be single-minded, mm. not multitasking. Yeah, multitasking, not helpful for the whole hurry thing, by the way, even if you think you're good at it. Friend says, I am reconsidering some of my habits in buying. It was a fresh way to look at the inner me. I absolutely love to shop, but it made me question the whys. In other words, what need am I trying to fill? That's a hard lesson. That's a good one. I'm celebrating the things that Jesus did, more simple meals with friends to create healthy communities, more getting rid of the stuff that we have to manage that gets in the way of us doing the best things. We celebrated some Jewish holidays. We practiced simple rhythm of daily Bible reading. And we are working on making Sabbath a priority. Another friend of ours did a purge in their house, had a yard sale, and gave half of the proceeds to the Jesus Center. Yes. And it was a reminder to them that Bam. God provides, but we also get a chance to bless others too. That's great. Love it. The sweet peace of restful sleep. I learned the joy of communion and sharing meals with friends. After, after the message Sunday relating to decluttering... One of our friends deleted over 9,000 emails in their primary account. <laughs> Nearly every week during this series, I've tried to do something practical like this as an application. One area I made a permanent change around is the use of my phone and limiting my time. Also, I've been putting God first in the morning, and I've been able to do this long enough that it has become a habit. Oh, right on. Another friend of ours said that he and his wife have made a rule, no phones at the table. Oh, that's a good rule. I like that rule a lot. Um, we have never been good about regular rest time in our family and are now understanding the beautiful gift God gave us when he instructed us to Sabbath. We are working towards making a daily, a weekly day to Sabbath together and are truly looking forward to walking in more peace and joy as we do this. Yeah, rest doesn't equal lazy, by the way. Just, just kind of... Let that sit for a minute. Let that sit for a minute. Steepen that a bit. That's right. Just putting up the four S's, which were slow, slowing, silence, solitude, and Sabbath. Listing those on my desk has helped me to focus on those rhythms. Especially, I'm slowly learning to not be so quick to respond harshly to people. It's mm, good. The one thing that has been most profound for me has been the peace of Jesus being our inheritance. Mm, really good. Uh, one of our friends is sleeping better, not afraid that I'll miss something if I don't answer my phone each time it dings. Right on. More quality time with the Lord, even if it's just a few minutes a day, and yeah. I've grown more sensitive to him speaking. Another friends are being intentional about preparing to keep the Sabbath, Then this has brought back a sense of wonder in who God is. I understand it now as an invitation to pause with God, to delight in his works and wonder with him. I have found that I'm not only more relaxed and content throughout the week, but also more genuinely satisfied in the outcomes of each day and able to choose less hurried rhythms the other six days because I'm aware of his works more than my own. Yeah, when you practice Sabbath, it affects your entire life because you can't slow down and stop one day and then just get back. It just doesn't work. It, you, it just starts slowing everything else down. It's true. It's good. Another friend of ours turned off their app notifications on their phone. Others are intentionally having dinner with friends. And one of our friends started driving the posted speed limit, which right has on. led them to slow down, Helpful. not just on the road, but in all other areas of their life. 
Yes. And lastly, it's taking great. time every week to be still and listen for God's voice has stirred a fire in my soul. I live each day in anticipation of his guidance. I am amazed at how changing one rhythm can draw you closer to God. So good. So pages and pages worth of, of testimonies. Um, I'm glad that you're going on this journey with us. It's a really good thing. Um, as we close, can you ask one of our friends if maybe they could come up and we could have a little teaching moment? No, Yeah, just ask them real quick off the mic. Um, so as we close, um, I want to encourage you to keep learning. I also want to encourage you to keep giving us feedback and letting us know what's going on. Because it's a huge encouragement to me. I know it's a huge encouragement to the staff. I've watched the staff in the last uh, three months where they should have been more stressed because Amy was out on sabbatical and how are we going to cover all the bases? And they adjusted their rhythms and they were just at peace. And not only were we at peace, but they excelled because they were working out of this sense of rest and not striving, not, I got to work harder, I got to work harder. How many times have you even felt like you've come to church hopefully not here, but come to church and you feel like, oh, if I can just work harder, my life will be so much better. It is not about working harder. It's about resting more and resting more in God's presence. And as you learn these rhythms that are his, then all of a sudden you're working out of rest. And then when something really bad happens, yeah, you might freak out a little bit because when really bad things happen, it's very upsetting But what I'm noticing is the time with which I freak out to the time when I have peace is getting closer and closer and closer, right? Like we had this financial thing. It's like, ah, a couple weeks ago. And I was like cranky for about 24 hours. Trying to figure it all out. The Lord was like, are you done yet? Yeah, I'm done. I said, all right. So do you have the things you need? Yep. What are you doing? I don't know, I'm freaking out. Do you want to do that? No, I don't want to freak out anymore. Great. Okay, let's go. What do I need to do? Be thankful. Secret weapon. Thanksgiving is your secret weapon. Okay, I'm going to step into Thanksgiving. Thanks God that you've got these things taken care of. I'm just going to thank you ahead of time. Now, have I seen the full breakthrough yet? Nope. But what I do have is the peace. So as I'm walking through this, watching the time between the freak out, because we're all human and we freak out, and peace becomes shorter. Okay, great. So, yeah, why don't you pop up? Jesus, help us do these things well. Help us to see and understand and know what your spirit says about these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So we got a divine setup. It's a we're divine looking setup. At it. like, um, I got a text message on my phone as I was sitting down here reading your guys' testimonies come through, and, and it said, there's a lady in the parking lot with a poster board asking for money. What shall we do? And I thought, how ironic or divine that the day that the Jesus Center folks are here, we have opportunity to learn how to respond. So yes. that was our quick conversation right here. So Great. what do you suggest? Because I don't know about you guys, but when I pass what seems like an increasing number of people asking for money, and some have some really great heart-wrenching stories on their poster boards. Or I'm cute torn. animals. Or cute animals. Mm, yeah. I'm torn. So here was, here's the word from our friends at the Jesus them. Center. And if you oh, want to speak further with them, I'm sure that they would love to. But they said, help them be seen, yes. heard, 
take some time to invite them to a cup of coffee if you have time to do that. Invite them for a meal. But really the best thing that we can do is help them understand what resources are available to them and not just give out money. That that's enabling when we hand out money. But helping people get an understanding of the resources that are available to them so that they can get the help that they really truly need. Even though their sign might say, and this is my add-on, even their, their sign might say, I'm hungry, I want food. I've noticed that when I've offered food, that's not always what is really wanted. So, But, but offering them food wouldn't be a bad thing, right? If you say, hey, if right? you want to go with me to buy a ham, I will buy you a hamburger if you'll sit with me because I would love to get to know who you are. Totally. It would be a good thing, right? They would be seen. It's interesting we talked about obscurity a few minutes ago, right? And the idea of feeling unimportant and not seen, and that's a scary thing even for all of us, and that maybe that we're not loved. And yet, these, some of these folks that we're seeing on the street, maybe they feel like that every single day. And for you to find out what their name is and to share your name with them and make things personal is a beautiful thing. I know in street pastoring, that's a very key thing. This is my name. Sometimes they didn't want to tell me their name. It's okay. I'm just going to tell you my name because I want you to know my name because it's important to me. And I'd love to know your name, but I'll just love you for who you are. So I think prayer goes so far. Real prayer, not token prayer. If you're going to token prayer, just don't stop, please. Just please keep driving. If it's not that day for you, just keep driving. Can you stand and I'll just, we'll just pray and bless you. Thank you for sticking around a couple extra minutes. It was just fun to hear testimonies about how this stuff is taking root in your life. So Jesus, I pray that these, these testimonies would just be the start of us living more healthy, living in a place where we're at rest, living in a place where we love others really well. Lord, we're thankful for everything that you give us. Just renew our minds. Help us to understand that you really do have it all in your hands. I pray, God, that... And just entrust this day to you. I bless this family, meeting here and on the stream. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Prayer team, come on down. The prayer team will be here next week. You don't want to miss next week. It's a great time starting a new series. We've got babies and children dedicated and wonderful new songs. Come and join us next week. We'll see you then.